Keep Talking exists to have conversations that might help to make a better society and a better culture. I believe that each guest has important information and stories to make public. This is the Keep Talking podcast. To support it, please take a second and subscribe to the show. It helps to make this content possible. The following is a conversation with Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly is a photographer, a futurist, an editor, and the author of multiple books, including his newest, Excellent Advice for Living, Wisdom I Wish I'd Known Earlier. On his 68th birthday, Kevin wrote 68 Bits of Unsolicited Advice for His Children, an essay that went viral. He wrote two more birthday advice essays for years 69 and 70. Now, after cleaning those nuggets up and adding 150 more, he has written a treasure trove of wisdom, created and given to the world by one of America's most perceptive thinkers. This is my favorite kind of book, and Kevin has created a masterpiece that I will consult for the rest of my life. I highly recommend it to anyone looking to become just a little bit wiser, a little bit better, a little bit more thoughtful. It was an honor to conduct this conversation with a man who I've admired for years. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly, I cannot tell you how honored I am to do this. I have been a massive fan of your work for many years and love that you have written this book. Welcome to the show. It's wonderful to meet you. Oh, it's a real privilege that I'm here. And thank you for inviting me. It's a great chance to chat. Absolutely. I told you this before we started recording, but I have been devouring your book this past week. And um, I'm so glad you wrote this. I've been a fan of your your essays for years and read the advice that you wrote when you were 68 and 69. And I think this will be a great compendium for people that are interested in learning and wisdom. I guess maybe to start the conversation, what started for you an interest in beginning to share you know these kind of insights i know a number of years ago what what's the story that brought you to do this in the first place um it was sort of inadvertent i uh have never really been much of a preacher even Mm -hmm. with my kids in terms of hmm, giving advice Uh, i've been much more along the um line that kids learn more from what you do rather than what you say. You can kind of say all kinds of things, but they're going to follow what you do. And so um, we hadn't, I didn't really say much about this, but there at some point um, I figured that I've been collecting quotes unrelated to advice, but just kind of nice little quotes that I've seen other people say that I liked the form of a pithy, summary of a lot of knowledge into a few words that encapsulation that little bit of a kind of a proverb and um i had this idea to do kind of a irish or hobbit birthday where you give presents instead of getting presents Hmm. and i just had the idea that i would give some advice to my son and i started to write some things down that i kind of had learned the hard way that i thought I wish I'd known when I was his age. And um, once I got started, I found out that I had a lot to say. And um, I kind of kept going. And then I kind of got into a rhythm of trying to ask myself if if there was some way I could take a whole bunch of stuff that I knew and reduce it down into a tweet. Hmm. And um, maybe maybe I didn't think of it at the time, but maybe this idea of the tweet as being the kind of a new genre, a new kind of medium maybe inspired me to try and make something that was tweetable. And um, so once I got started, though, I found that that I had more to say, and I kept doing it for over some years and years, and um, gradually accumulated enough that I felt that it would be really handy to have it in kind of a form to hand to another person, particularly a young person. Yeah. And I, I know that, you know, the initial you know, more abbreviated version of this came out. I think the first essay was when you turned 68. And that seems to have circulated around the internet. I I come across other writers and thinkers who convey wisdom and they're quoting you from that essay. Did you expect that that 
would turn into something like this or was that no no totally no accidental? it was it was it was not a deliberate strategy at all it was um literally just like a little gift i thought i'd share and um to my surprise it traveled very well and it could end up being you know my most popular thing despite all the other work i've done um it would be ironic if this is what really lasted yeah I have written down and there's no way we can get through <laughs> 400 <laughs> whatever the total is it's it's hundreds and I think the book is something like 250 pages in total um but I in going through the book nearly three times over the last six or seven days kind of went through and found you know my top favorite mm -hmm. personal 15 or so and I thought what might be helpful given that there was no way we were going to be able to get through all of them would be for me to kind of maybe read out um, those 15 and maybe focus on five or so. And I'd sure. love to give you an opportunity to maybe just expand if there's anything to yeah. expand on about those pieces of advice. And I thought maybe it would be helpful to start with the 10 that I just loved that um, we don't necessarily have to go over with you know any additional information and then mm -hmm. circle back to the five that I'd love to get your, sure. your thoughts on. And you know, I, I've had your quotes on my website for years, and I'm sure I will be putting these up on there as well mm -hmm. as just sort of touchstones, as you said, like aphorism tweets that can be helpful just mm -hmm. to compress right. knowledge. So he, here are here are some from the book, uh, and then I'll, I'll circle back to five or so that might be helpful for us to have more of a conversation on. And this is an older one that I think is from your earlier essays that mm -hmm. I remember David Brooks quoted in, in an yeah. essay that he had for the New York Times, and this is it. Before you are old, attend as many funerals as you can bear and listen. Nobody talks about the departed's achievements. The only thing people will remember is what kind of person you were while you were achieving. Mm -hmm. Here's another one. If you are not, I love this one. If you are not embarrassed by your past <laughs> self, you probably have not grown up yet. I so identify with that. Um, I'm in my late thirties now and I, I looked back to some of the stuff I believed and how I acted yeah, in my twenties yeah. and I, I identify with this and you alluded to this one already in this conversation, which is quote, the greatest teacher is doing. Mm -hmm. Here's another one. When someone is, I've thought about this one so many times since I read this, when someone is nasty, hateful, or mean toward you, assume they have a disease that makes it easier to have empathy towards them, which can soften the conflict. Here's another one. Whenever you have a choice between being right or being kind, be kind. No exceptions. Don't confuse kindness with weakness. Mm -hmm. Another one. The only productive way to answer what should I do now is to first tackle the question, who should I become? And two last more before I want to get back to the five, I want to talk to you more about in detail. This is one. Your growth as a mature being is, me is measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations you are willing to have. Mm -hmm. The final one, the natural state. I, I love this one because I, I, I think I have lived this without really having seen this quote before from you. The natural state of all possessions is to need repair and maintenance. What you own will eventually own you. Mm -hmm. Choose selectively. <laughs> and here, here are the five I would love to get sure. some more feedback on you just to get any additional thoughts mm -hmm. you may have. And this one I love, and I think this gets back to you know so much of the advice that kind of gets compressed into this one individual pithy statement. You are what you do, not what you say, not what you believe, not how you vote, but what you spend your time on. Mm -hmm. yeah. Anything else you'd like to add to that one? Because I think that's such a, you know, a quick, but really deep point about human life and human nature. Yeah. I mean, as you said, it kind of does in some ways resonate with what I said earlier about kids learning more from what you do, what you spend your time on than yeah. what you say you are doing. And, um, it's not unrelated to the you know the famous adage of um you know be the change you want to see in the world there, there is again this idea of 
of um, acting out the the virtues rather than just announcing them or saying them or believing them. And so um, it's much, much harder to, to do, to affect change that way. But really in the end, I think that's how change is affected that mm-hmm. um, we can say things. You can try to convince someone with words. You can, as I have a book of advice, remind people but in a certain sense, I will have more impact uh, from when I act out these bits of advice than just saying them. Yeah, and yeah. that ability to act out and interact with people in our real world is the gift that we have of our lives. And, and why we're here now in bodies is because we have far more leverage to actually impact people through our actions and that's the difference between, you know, here in some celestial, uh, you know, life where there's just intangible beings and words and stuff. There's just not as much impact. And so part of the beauty of us in these kind of broken containers is that actually we still have more impact than just words. Yeah. For that specific insight. Do you feel like you had to learn that the hard way? Is this something that you yeah. kind of always embodied? What do you remember, if anything, about how that kind of became an embedded principle in your own life? Um, I think mostly through observation of others and seeing when people were being effective in their stuff. It doesn't mean you can't say things or do things but it means that when you do say something, your actions have to be aligned with it in order for it to really have effect. Yeah. And so I guess there was seeing the times when there was a discontinuity or disjunction between someone's behavior and what they were saying and how that kind of maybe undermined what they're trying to do. And so um, I think also maybe my parents were much more, of non-preaching, non-advising type of people. And uh, I learned a lot from observing them and how they went about, which was to be and do rather than say Hmm. and declare. Um, So I don't know if I was, I don't know if this particular one was something that I struggled with. I think it was something that I saw modeled and then, saw how it wasn't working for other people yeah yeah fair enough i'm gonna move on to another one and this one it's funny because i I read this one and it very much is in line with one of my all-time favorite quotes from lincoln and this is about character Mm. and this is one of the longer ones and i I would love to get your your thoughts on on this in, in more detail and this is the quote The real test of your character is not how you deal with adversity, although that will teach you much. The real test is how you deal with power. The only cure for power is humility and the admission that your power comes from luck. The small person believes that they are superior. The superior person knows that they are lucky. Mm. There's another line in the book where you talk about intelligence to some degree related to this and how you know half of the people on this planet are by definition below average in intelligence and that by no fault of their own they have difficulty filling out forms navigating the world and that the the key word here to me which is not embedded in the in the lincoln quote is luck i guess mm-hmm. luck and humility mm-hmm. any additional thoughts on this because again i feel like this is such a deep insight about about human nature and the Lincoln line is essentially what you just said, which is that if you want to test a man's character, you give him power. I literally quoted that Lincoln line at my brother's best man speech um, at his wedding. Yeah. Any additional lines or feedback you have about that? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the, the re- that realization that, that luckiness and, you know, sometimes what is called privilege is, is really a large part of power came very late. I mean, I think I, you know, perhaps might have understood um, from long ago that, or maybe I imagined from long ago that 
anybody who succeeded and had a lot of power was because they worked hard or because they were particularly gifted. But the more I got to hang out with people who um, <laughs> in some ways were um, at that stage, I realized that in fact they were primarily lucky. And then my, in my own life, I could look back and see, you know, yeah, I did work hard, but there were lots of people who worked as hard or harder than me who were not as successful. And it really came down to the fact that where I am today is a lot of luck. That was late in coming in kind of my, my realization of that. But the more I looked at it, the more convinced I became that it was really true. And then again, as I got the privilege of hanging around with people who also were at, had some power, there were some of them who understood the same thing and who recognized that. And I found that those who were able to acknowledge and incorporate that realization were much better people mm. and much more happier and much more powerful in a certain sense because they understood of that. And there were some who simply did not see that at all. And I didn't find their lives very admirable whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I came from. And it's funny because it seems like as you gain power, the ego wants to believe that you are superior and that, you know, what the, the benefits. That it was all through the, your efforts, right? That it was, that it was something that you uh, alone achieved. And there's a kind of also a strand of American individualism yes. that feeds a lot of this, the kind of heroic um, self-sufficient character, which is another myth in reality, because uh, at least in modern times, in any kind of life that we're living today, we're being subsidized by civilization, by the works of many others before us, by people working today. There's, there's, there's really no way to have that kind of success and power as we define it, and yet think or believe or in any way have it be something that you alone create it's just we're, we're much more deeply social in our lives now for that to be true and so not acknowledging that to me is um there's a sort a blindness that i think is debilitating in the long run yeah and for people who hear that line and your feedback on that line who do have some power or are growing in their power who are finding it difficult to keep you know that their sense of superiority or their ego in check mm -hmm. what's the best way or how have you found it to be helpful with people you admire who seem to be able to you know quell that 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 ego the um the sense that they're they they have really earned this that it's a right that they have achieved yeah that's a <clears throat> if someone's come that far along undoing that's going to be a big project um again i don't think it's going to come by preaching to them there's another bit of advice that i gave in the book which is that you can't um argue someone out of a position that they haven't kind of reasoned themselves into so so they didn't arrive there through a logical argument and they're not going to be um undone by a logical logical argument and so um so for people like that i think it's um Again, I think seeing other people's lives or being confronted with reality, um, if they were to travel and be immersed themselves in some other countries where there was a huge, huge differences in opportunity and advantage that might help them um, see their own lives in a different light. Um, sometimes misfortune unfortunately can um is needed for someone of power to reset their understanding of where their what role luck played in where they arrived yeah yeah fair enough
here's the third one I want to I want to read out to you. And I think this is helpful for people who are at a decision point in their life to try to maybe consult this this quote. And this is it. The trick to making wise decisions is to evaluate your choices mm-hmm. as if you were looking back 25 years from today. What would your future self think? I don't know if you have you know, kind of consulted that idea at points in your life, but this was definitely one that I also wanted to get your your thoughts on in terms of, you know, wisdom, which is a lot of what the book really I think is about sure. is is trying to convey a, 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 some wisdom to help people in their life. But any any feedback or additional, you know, context mm. or or um, commentary you might have on that one, I'd love to hear. So 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 this is a. Um... A trick that a lot of um, I don't know what they call them psychologists psychologists talk about, and it's called self distancing. And there's multiple ways to do it. And the whole idea is that you want to kind of remove yourself, distance yourself, and look at yourself from the outside a little bit to help you see reality. To again work on this issue of your ego, and. One of the ways to self distance is to, um, you know, to see yourself in from the future point of view of looking back. Another one is to ask, um, you know, what would so and so do in my position right now? Or another one is I'm advising someone else. I'm going to advise someone who's in my position of what to do. And again, you're kind of taking yourself out of your current head and you're trying to get in a different head outside and that distancing is very very powerful and one of those distancings that i think is the most useful is this future self distancing where you're looking back for several reasons one is because i think it does encourage long-term thinking mm-hmm. and generational thinking you're able to kind of get a different scale in addition to the fact that it's also self-distancing and outside of your current head and um i use that trying to imagine you know looking back um uh that kind of reverse thinking of um what would i what would i think what would i say um you know from someone 20 years from now for me right now what you know you should do x um, and, and that is, um, I think a very handy trick to help you mm, think laterally, think differently, um, and importantly, um, you know, diffuse the urgency, which is another thing I try to talk about overcoming urgency hmm. and take a, a more relaxed, longer view. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Here's the fourth one I wanted to read out. And and this, again, like a lot of my favorite quotes that you have in here, it, it harkens back to other, you know, um, lines that are kind of rhyme with this or are co- close cousins of this or have some themes that I've heard before. And this is it. Three things you need. The ability to not give up something till it works. The ability to give up something that does not work. And the trust in other people to help you distinguish between the two. <laughs> yeah. This so, reminds me, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah. So um, I, I just saw a little tweet the other day of someone saying, you know, it's okay to be discouraged, but not, it's not okay to quit. And someone else replied, no, no, no. It's okay to quit. It's just not okay to be discouraged. And my view is, no, yeah, sometimes you want to be, you know, sometimes you want to quit and sometimes it's okay to be discouraged, but you kind of, you want help in discerning when that is. And the point of this is that we need other people. Hmm. We need people in our lives. We need friends. We need family. We need customers. We need clients. We need people around us to help us live our lives to their best. It's not a solo project. It's not something that we do on our own. It's our responsibility, but it's not our task alone. We we need those around us to help guide us. 
And another piece of wisdom is say we need them because they're going to see where we're headed more. They see better than we see often where we're headed. And so the point of this is that um, we really do. Then that's why we're in this kind of arrangement of a world with lots of people around us is because they are an instrumental part of our movie. They're not just extras, the people in our lives. They are essential to our becoming our best. And that was the point of this one was, yeah, sometimes you need to stick with it and never give up. And sometimes you have to give up and move on. And you need other people to help you see that. Yeah. And calibrate you. And that, that to me, I mean, arguably that is, I, I think one of the most important points in your book. And it, it's that key difference of the ability to, the ability to not give up till something works and the the ability to give up on something that does not work. And the, right. I think for anybody who is ambitious and taking on daunting challenges, whether, you know, attempting to have a long-term relationship or to start a business or to try some pursuit that the odds are not necessarily in their favor from the outcome, it, it can be very difficult to know the difference between you being <laughs> insane and yes. you being audacious. And, you know, this right. is a theme that I think comes up consistently in your book is, yeah. is the wisdom to know the difference between the two. I would just be curious for yourself, if you have any you know, either personal stories of decision points like that, or, you know, um, additional advice you might have for people who are the strivers are really, they want to live a a big and meaningful life. Mm -hmm. And that's going to mean, you know, it's another line that I didn't include in, in my quotes that I read out, which is something like, you know, if you're not falling on your face every once in a while, you're, you're essentially just coasting. Right. And, you know, I'd love to just give you a chance to, add anything else to that of like uh, ways in which you can know maybe it's taking your own perspective and then having this kind of tribe around you of trusted long-term friends and family to help be your kind of individual board of directors to help you at major decision points, whether to give up on a project or endure anything else you have to you know add to something like that to, you know, increase the wisdom there to be able yeah, to tell yeah. the difference between the two. Um. I, I, I would say, first of all, that this is a very difficult thing to do, and that even when we make these decisions, we may not even know for a long time, even whether it was a correct decision. I'm reminded of um, movie making, and it's really weird because everybody in the movie business will tell you the same thing is that um, you can have a fantastic script and it can have fantastic actors and you can have fantastic everybody and still the movie doesn't work and vice versa. And so it's like, um, it's very hard to tell when something's not working or working and what it might need to actually work. And in the end, we may not actually know, we may not know if we'd given up on that thing, whether it could have kept going or that um, um, we may not know that we should have given up. And so, um, so we can have people help us to, to navigate that, but I, I don't think we're ever going to come up with a foolproof uh, method. And, you know, you're always an artist creator inventor or entrepreneur is always trying to balance this thing of being true to themselves, doing things that are driven by their own expression and their own genius, not paying attention to what others tell them. And at the same time, trying to be useful, trying to have an audience listening to what the customer says. And so there's a, there's a weird balance and I don't think there's a formula hmm. for determining that i think it's a case-by-case basis and we often are not going to get it right but the solution to that is simply to keep doing it is to do it again and again and again and um that's that um you know ten thousand hours of deliberate practice that's the thing about i talk about some other advice about um the, the reason why you want to have a daily practice or make it a career or be productive 
and do everything da daily is because you're going to have to generate things that fail. And they may fail for the right reason or the wrong reason, but the only the recipe is not to be able to tell all the time because we don't know. It's just that you're going to come back and do it again until you get another chance. So you just keep doing it. And that is really the only solution. It's not necessarily going to be able to have some formula that can help you tell. Is uh, no, we're just you're going to do it again. Yeah, and that that is another theme that comes up in your book that we haven't really touched on, which is the power of. You know, we talked about long term long term thinking, but the power of daily habits. And you just said ten thousand right. hours, and I've heard Naval Ravikant say that you know it's it's often ten thousand hours. It's also ten thousand iterations, which is. Yeah. something that you kind of touch on indirectly of making small incremental change over a long time. And I think for people who are creative and have a burning desire that they just can't kind of take that out of their personality to create, I think your point, mm -hmm. if I'm reading you and hearing you correctly, is to um, honor that and be be willing to put out a lot of content and this is another theme you talked about in your book is that you know not having really a master plan you often there's something very Nassim Taleb about this of it's very difficult to know what will work in the world and yeah. putting out a lot of daily content or consistent content just increases the likelihood i think over time that you're going to be able to come up with something that may actually work that you probably had no idea could have worked before right. you tried um, right. I, I also talk about prototyping your life instead of having grand plans. And prototyping is something, again, that took me a long time to kind of realize. And now is something my standard procedure, which is I try to prototype as much as I can, whatever I'm working on, whether it be um, a book or um, some art I'm making or model making or even like re remodeling. I will, um, like my remodeling kitchen, I would make a cardboard model in three dimensions at full scale of like here's where the things are going to be so we can see that that's a prototype um when i'm making a book i actually will make by hand I, a prototype copy with a xerox and the real size and see how that feels and um making things in the workshop. I will try and prototype with cardboard or plywood or something first and iterate those steps forward. Mm -hmm. And so you can do that with your life of like taking a class for a week to see how that was. So you can just commit to a one week. I'm going to try it and see what it is. I'm going to prototype that and then go up from there. And I think um, that kind of notion of... Um, creeping our way or accumulating a way of kind of crawling there and little experiments is sort of this, uh, I don't know, it's almost a scientific way. And in some senses, it's just kind of, it's it, if, if you're able to do that, it's really, really great. And I, I want to go back to too, with this idea of repeating in 10,000 hours is we, we talk about creative people, but I think it's true for things we Things like, you know, you might be a craftsman, like a cabinet maker, whatever, and you're, you're just going to um, keep making cabinets. And each time you make the cabinets is a time, another opportunity for you to get a little tiny better and do it a little bit better, whether you're an x-ray doctor doing um, radiology, you can kind of keep improving that diagnosis a little bit better. So it's, we may not say that's a kind of a creative thing, but it is a kind of a creativity. But the point is, is that, we can, um, in, no matter what we're doing, the iteration aspect of it allows us to grow, that there's growth potential, improvement. And one of the things I would say is that, I think I said it in the book, th th there's no limit to better. Yeah. There's always some way to make something a little better. There is absolutely, it is an infinite in its dimension. And we can always figure some way to make something a little bit better. And this reminds me of another line from the book that I didn't write down and haven't mentioned, which I has really stuck with me as somebody who can be a real creature of of habit is the mm. exploit versus explore mentality yes. in general and life. And and the you know, the general ratio that I think you present in the book is that 
right. you know, you want to spend two thirds of your time uh, exploiting your favorite whatever meals, exercise routines, habits in life, and a third of your time exploring. Yeah, right. And that was actually based on some studies, some sociological work. I think they were looking at um, hiring practices, like at what point do you kind of decide you've seen enough people to make a choice? And um, there were some other things too, then they all converged on basically the same ratio um, of, um, you know, like a, a singer, um, the fans want to see the old, your old work. They want to hear the old songs and you want to present the new ones. Well, one third old, two thirds new, that seems to work. And so, um, uh, so there's lots of ways in which that kind of ratio is expressed where you are trying to maximize and optimize the good stuff. Why not get the things that you love that you know are excellent and keep doing it versus taking a chance with something new that could go wrong, that could be terrible and maybe unsatisfying. And so that ratio of about, so like for us, when we go out to dinner to a restaurant that we've been to, we say we order two dishes that we love and know and one new dish. And that's how you keep going. Yeah. And I think it can be just very helpful to someone like myself, who is again, like such a habitual person to remember that in, you know, some of those one third moments where you're trying a new dish or whatever, a lot of times it's not going to be something that you enjoy. And that that's just part of the, I think the growth oriented, you know, mentality towards life in general, that's how you learn, you learn. Um, this is the last one that I want to, I want to read And I've had conversations on this, on this podcast about, you know, loneliness and, you know, the isolation that I think a lot of people feel in the modern technological world with social media. And I, I thought this was just such a clever uh, and and again, also kind of deep principle to keep in mind as people chase likes and online connections with people that they don't really know. And this is the quote, cultivate 12 people who love you because they are worth more than 12, mil- 12 million people who like you. I was curious if this <laughs> idea came came to you, you know, in the the data I'm sure you're familiar with of, you know, young American girls between I think the age of 12 and 17, something like 25% of them have been diagnosed with major depression. How do you how did you come up with that as a you know, just general heuristic for yeah. people? If that's a modern take on the world you look around and see, or if that's something <laughs> you've kind of always believed. I, I think I have to confess it's a little flippant and um it's it is based on the kind of striving for likes and mm. my own uh experience. Um there was a time when um there was another social media platform called Google Plus mm. and um which was Google's answer and and for some weird reason, because I was early there, I had a million followers on Google Plus. And in thinking about it, it was like, what do I get out of that? It was like, it was like, there's no, there's nothing really there. I can brag about it, but it's not going to get me through a dark night. They're not going to get me out of jail. They're not going to pay me up at the airport. It's like, it's it's an empty kind of of um you know ad- adoration and so um that was just my own experience was like yeah i mean i could have 12 million it just wouldn't be anywhere near what having one person who was truly you know um uh truly your friend basically and so um so that so that was a little bit of of uh you know kind of a a swipe, so to speak, at the social media platforms, but it's also um, it also means that I think it would be true even if it wasn't about the social media. Just saying that um, having people like you is different than having people love you or trying to 
and vice versa, just kind of working towards that, there's a very different um, there's a very different dynamic going on in that you really want to be focusing on the love part rather than just uh, having people like you. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with that, and I think that can be lost uh, lost in our culture in terms of what people are are ambitious for in the first place. Right. Um, there, there are and, a few and, more and things. I, th- I, think, I think the thing that I, I, I do want to say, and and that is that those people who do have high, very high count numbers, it often does not equate into money, and it doesn't really often doesn't really improve their lives really that much. Hmm. So, so it's not just that it's better to that it, that there is that there is kind of a there is a and if we have inflated expectations of what that might mean, is all I'm mm-hmm. trying to say as well. And I think that dovetails into another line from the book, right? That I think it, the exact quote is something like, you really don't want to be famous. Yes. Read any biography of any famous person. Yes. I'm just shocked that anybody wants to be famous because there's very little good about it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I know we're running, we're getting a, a bit towards the end of the conversation here and I'd love, I mean, to me, the themes in the book that consistently kind of come up with, come to mind to me are long term thinking, the importance of kindness and character, the importance of relationships that are real, you know, living a life that is intrinsically rewarding and driven by something that is honoring who you really are. You know, there's another another line in the book which I didn't mention, which I love, which is, you know, something like the the point of making money <laughs> is to be able to do more great work, and right. that if you if you do end up making a small fortune, that what that really, arguably the best use of that money is to allow is to free you to be able to do more great work. Yeah, and th- th- that one came from two different people and i kind of maybe conflated it one was tom Sachs, the artist who's who talks about the reward for working hard is more work mm-hmm. get to work more mm-hmm. and disney walt disney who said that um we don't make movies to make money we make money to make movies and i'm combining those kinds of things together which is that you want to work to make money so that you can keep working hmm. it's not that you want to make money so you don't have to work <laughs> it's the other way around yeah um so um yeah so the reward for working should be that we get to continue to work yeah and i i'd, I'd be remiss if i didn't ask you because you know, I think probably at this point in your life, your life, you do have a level of autonomy that most people kind of dream of, you know, that creators would love to have. And what, you know, to you, what is, what is a perfect day look like to you? What kind of habits and what lifestyle do you in, enjoy at this point in your life on a day-to-day you know, basis? So, so I would say, yeah, I have the, you know, the perfect job. I've got a life that's been engineered for me. And so I can answer that saying, but well, what am I doing? Well, what I decided to do was to, you know, do a hundred different podcasts and talk to people like yourself about these kinds of things. And that's my answer. My answer is that um, uh, nothing gives me joy as right now, as much as talking about these kinds of bits of advice or other things. It could be AI and, and whatnot, but I really enjoyed this diversity of people that I meet, mm. um, getting to hear their intelligence, their sometimes what they're working on, um, their questions. And um, that to me is an incredible privilege to be able to, to do that, to be able to do a number of them um, and not have to travel, of course. And so that's, that's like yeah. So so right now my ideal ideal day is I'm working on another project. I'm working on um, writing down um, a bunch of stuff for um, uh, a video I'm going to make about this, and then I get to talk to you and get to talk to someone else, and then I may have uh, 
I'm, I'm pointing over here because I'm building I'm building something um, that I worked in my workshop to build. And then I'll have um, a meeting this afternoon with some people about um, a video project that I'm working on. So it's a bunch of different things. And that's an ideal day for me is to have different projects to work on. Some of them are short-term, some are long-term. And um, uh, for me, that's an ideal day. Yeah, I'd love to read. There are two additional lines from the book that I haven't yet had a chance to read that were kind of throwaway lines that I loved. And then I, I'd love to maybe you know, begin to wind the conversation down with a, with a question following those two quotes. And this, this quote, um, which is very helpful for me to, to read and it's about success and the second quote is about wealth and this is the quote about success most overnight successes in fact any significant success take at least five years <laughs> budget your life accordingly and then the wealth quote is measure your wealth not by the things you can buy but by the things that no money can buy yeah yeah, yeah. and you know, Kevin, I, I can't tell you how honored I am to be able to do this and what, how much fun it would, your book is my favorite kind of book. Um, I think because even if there are only two or three nuggets in there that really resonate, they have the potential to really change lives, change the way you think about the way you're living. And I think that's the point of knowledge in general, in the best sense. And you know, I guess I would put it to you or ask you in general, you know, what, given that the book is about advice and, mm -hmm. and wisdom, what is the, what's the reason wisdom is not necessarily in fashion right now. Mm. That's, that's not, that's not something that famous wise yeah. sages are not trumpeted mm. in our culture as being mm -hmm. of real importance. And I, I guess I would put it to you this way. What's the point of obtaining wisdom and living in a wise way you know in your experience what what are the long-term benefits of actually you know imbibing some of this material and wisdom in general for you know a, a life what's the point of wisdom in the first place that's a great that's a really great question i really love that um i think it, it, yeah here, here's how you gave me an opportunity to kind of define wisdom and i would say Wisdom is the knowledge, the framework that will help you become the best part of you or the best version of you or the best you. Help you kind of, like I say in the book, um, get to the point where, you know, you arrive at the end of your life and you've said, you know, I have become the most that I could be. Mm. That's wisdom. And if you can use wisdom to arrive there, I think you have a very satisfying life. And most people I know who have, who declare they have a satisfying life turn out to be incredibly helpful to the people around them, helping them arrive at their destinations as well. So that's, that's part of the, satisfied life and part of wisdom is helping other people find their purpose in life. And that's, if everybody was happening, if that was happening at large scale, that'd be great for everybody and great for future generations. And so I think wisdom is that framing to, to see that you are on a journey to discover your purpose in life. And it would probably take your entire life to find what it is. And um, as you do, you are, becoming the best you could be, which is all anybody can ask hmm. of others and yourself. And that state of arriving or becoming, it's a becoming, it's a process of becoming the best you is fantastic for us because um, you will be sharing your genius, your unique talents. That's part of what it means. And how can we not enjoy that as everybody Guess to. And I will say again in parenthesis that having clean water and healthcare and education and housing are all essential prerequisites 
for being able to have that kind of a life that there are a lot of basic things that we need to do and make sure everybody in the planet gets to, to enable them to unleash that genius. So, so it's a big job. It's a high bar, but wisdom is that little framework that will allow you to help you understand your own journey in becoming the best person you could be. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I love the book and it, it reminded me when we were talking about, you know, keeping your ego in check. I had a conversation about a year ago with Anna Lemke, who leads the psychiatry addiction uh, clinic at Stanford. And she said that you know, she wrote a very successful book and started to obtain you know, some fame and some success as a public person. And when she created anything that became well-known or, you know, gained her some notoriety, she often she regarded that production as sort of not being her who had done it, that it was just sort of a, a gift that she yeah. was sort of channeling almost right, into right, the, right, into right. the world. And she found that to be very, that very be helpful. helpful. That's also, that can be part of wisdom. Yeah. So Dan, I really appreciate your questions. It was a fantastic conversation. I, I, I'm again, grateful for your enthusiasm for the book. Um, and um, I appreciate having an opportunity to share it with you and your fans. Thank you, Kevin. This is an honor. And I think in a secular age, this kind of wisdom and knowledge is um, extremely useful to a lot of people. And I hope the book absolutely kills it. It's an honor to do this and wonderful to meet you. And thank you for, for taking the time that you did for, um, for making the book. I, I certainly got a lot out of it. Um, you're very welcome. All right, man. Great to meet you. Yep. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Keep Talking. If you're finding value in this podcast, please consider supporting the show via the links below on Venmo, PayPal, or Patreon. Your support helps to make these conversations possible.